This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy, pick of the week number 642, brought to you by Harry's. To get your trial shave set, go to harrys.com slash iFanboy right now. That's harrys.com slash iFanboy. And iFanboy listeners just like you. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? And the magic from the handle making weird signs. Things 
Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 642. I'm Ryan Haupt, sitting in for Josh Flanagan, and this is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hi, Ryan and everyone. Thanks for sitting in for Josh, who is, I don't know, he's somewhere. Yeah, I think, didn't he go, um, didn't he go, like, to learn how to cook pasta in Italy? (laughs) No, I can guarantee that's not where he is. Uh, That sounds far (laughs) too relaxing. <laughs> well, we are a fanboy, and every week we read a stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that the pick of the week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, and maybe if we have time, we'll read some listener mail, give you a few recipes, some techniques you can mm-hmm. you can use in the home kitchen. That's going to be fun. This is a spoiler warning. We're a review show. There's going to be some spoilers. Exercise caution. And this week, Connor had the pick. I did, and it was a week of first of all, it was, it was a lot of big releases this week, and also I thought. A good week. I had a lot of really great books. Even though the pick of the week was fairly obvious once I read it, there was a bunch of books that could have taken it, which is great. Much better than the opposite kind of week in which you're searching desperately for a pick of the week choice. I felt that it was a good week, but not an overwhelming week. I didn't feel like I had too many books to read. I feel like I had a good stack, and it was a good quality stack. High batting average this week. But let's talk about the pick of the week, which is The Amazing Spider-Man number one, the relaunch Written by Nick Spencer with art by Ryan Otley from Invincible with his anchor Cliff Rathburn. Colors by Laura Martin. Letters by Joe Caramagna. I've been really excited for this relaunch. I haven't read Amazing Spider-Man in a long time. I'm a long-time Spider-Man reader from my childhood. I was reading the Dan Slot, the brand new day relaunch back in, was it 1972 when that run started? Yeah, it was right after Stan and Steve left yeah. and Dan Slott took over. I read it for a long time. It was Pick a Week a bunch of times, and then I just sort of got bored with it. So I've been waiting desperately for a new writer in Amazing Spider-Man. Finally, we have one. Of course, the announcement that Ryan Otley, who drew Robert Kirkman's Invincible series for so long, and pretty much hasn't done a lot of other sequential work. You've seen a lot of pinups and and things like that, but I don't think I've ever seen... Grizzly Shark. Yeah, that's true. But nothing like on this level. So I was excited to see him have a go at Spider-Man. And the thing about Nick Spencer is he's a very specific voice, a very specific tone. And I don't think it works for every character. But when you find the right character or the right setting or the right pitch, it's great. Like, I love the fix from Image. I think he's perfect for that. I didn't think his tone worked for Captain America. But I feel like he's perfect for Spider-Man. I really loved this issue. It made me laugh out loud many times. Overall, I thought this was terrific. I had so much fun reading this. It's extra long. There was a couple of backup stories. I just really dug it. Spider-Man's tough because there's the push and pull between the old school fans who want him to age forward like they do and be married and have kids and family. And there's there's the company and me who believe that he should be a younger character. That's where the core of the character is. He's the younger screw-up amongst the other heroes. So this issue tried to find that delicate balance of keeping Peter Parker, Peter Parker, while also bringing back some elements that some of the fans have been missing, like Mary Jane and their relationship. Did you read this? I did, yes. I was also very excited for this and was pleasantly surprised to see the return of Boomerang, which was a character Nick Spencer wrote in the um, the Spider-Man villains book that he did, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Superior Foes of Spider-Man? Yes, I almost think he writes those kind of characters and there's a little Mysterio backup at the end of the issue as well that I think Nick Spencer might write villains better than heroes in Mm -hmm. a lot of instances and that makes for a very interesting book. And yeah, I was super excited to see Ryan Otley get to just unleash and I was glad we got an early splash page to see a bunch of different heroes in the Otley style. 
they basically said, all right, Otley's in Marvel. Here's every major Marvel character, <laughs> in, in, basically, in this sequence where there's a big attack on New York. So you get the Avengers, and you have some of the X-Men, and you have the Thing, and Human Torch, and the Guardians of the Galaxy make a cameo. It's like, here's every... Which I think that's the best Star-Lord beard I've seen, <laughs> because a lot of times they don't do the beard quite right. When this, I think, is the closest to the beard that Chris Pratt actually rocks. I was very happy to see him get to sort of do everyone. Right, just flex his muscles. And then, and then yeah, his Spider-Man is fantastic. Or amazing. Or amazing. Or spectacular. Is it also web of? <laughs> his Spider-Man is a real web of. He has a dynamism, but also like a vitality, and, a, and his character's all very youthful. I mean, yeah, he has his faces. Mary Jane looks a lot like Adam Eve, but I don't care. Yep, that was kind of funny that it's, you know, another book with a prominent redheaded love interest. Well, it is comics. They love yeah. their redheads. It's almost like he's perfect for this. We were speculating amongst ourselves. We kind of knew he was going to go to one of the big two companies after Invincible and speculating who we'd want to see. And I really wanted to see him like a team book, like Avengers. But he's really perfect for Spider-Man. It looked fantastic. Peter looked great. He doesn't look like Mark Grayson from Invincible. He looks like Peter Parker. Anyway, the story is... In, in, the, in the best possible way, Peter Parker's life falls apart, as it should. As the issue begins, he's the, now the science editor at the Daily Bugle. He's got like a real adult job with responsibilities and a paycheck and health insurance. And he, even though he's got two roommates, one of them who is Robbie's son, the other one is Boomerang, he still feels very happy about his, where his life is. And then, it, of course, immediately all falls apart. <laughs> Well, sure. I mean, he is, first of all, living in a fantasy world where there's a thing called science editors at major publications. <laughs> and then that job is important enough that there are in-person press conferences <laughs> where you release your anti-plagiarism software. Like, as a person who works in academia, that sequence was hilarious. I get it. I appreciate what they were doing because Peter had been taking credit for the work that Doc Ock did while in Peter's body. But now Peter is getting in trouble for plagiarizing Doc Ock's work, even though it was Doc Ock writing it as Peter and Peter's but it's a, it's a very fun complicated like his whole great power great responsibility kind of falls apart when the situation is this complicated and I enjoyed him having to navigate that yeah no it, it's almost the perfect Peter Parker scenario in which he gets exposed publicly for cheating even though he didn't cheat because his body was being inhabited by his villain how can he possibly explain that away he can't so what happens is he gets fired yeah he's just got to take it on the chin from yep. his job and he gets publicly disgraced and he's on the front page of the paper is the story about a grad student who plagiarized a paper. <laughs> their own editor they're throwing under the bus of their paper. They could choose to, you know, page six that. Well, the, the ombudsman wouldn't let them. Okay. And so that all falls apart and he runs to Mary Jane for solace who appropriately laughs at him because it is so ridiculous and it is such a perfectly Peter Parker, Spider-Man kind of life that he's living. I mean, a little bit of the heartbreaker was when Aunt May finds out about it. And he can't tell Aunt May, so he has to live with her thinking he's a cheat. Plus, Aunt May and, and Doc Ock have history. Right. So, I mean, she's probably also upset that Peter's stealing from a person that she's had an intimate relationship with. Right. So that's where I think the tone of this really worked, where it was silly and fun. The, the sequence in the beginning with Kingpin made me laugh out loud several times, in which they're trying to give him the key to the city. <laughs> But he doesn't just trust to, him. Just to make him an outcast amongst the other heroes. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was clever. <laughs> I have never seen that vault before in my life. I mean, <laughs> that, that panel was terrific. The body language, the way I drew that. But then you have this really tender scene with Aunt May where you, you want him to just be able to say, I didn't do anything wrong, but he can't. So he just has to be diminished in her eyes. The one person, the one person, even more than Mary Jane, he doesn't want to be diminished in, in, in front of. Mm-hmm. 
and then Myst- finds out Mysterio was behind that big attack in, in New York that all the heroes are fighting, and he he saves the day and gets the girl back. Mary Jane is back in his life, and I'm fine with them dating as long as they just don't get married. How are you on uh, Mysterio as a villain? I love Mysterio. He's over the top, giant fishbowl. Yeah. So then the backup story that it's part of it is drawn by is that Humberto Ramos? It does look like Humberto Ramos. I believe that is correct. Where Mysterio starts to defend himself in court, and it doesn't go very well, and then there's some people vomiting bugs and things happen, and some new villain has showed up to fuck with Mysterio's head because it's all in his head while he's on the stand. It's all very, that part was all very like, whoa, what's happening here? And then Peter gets some help from the lizard at the end. Mm-hmm. I guess he's... I thought was dead, but... It doesn't matter. These comics. things all get rebooted. So is he, is he going to teach? Is he back in school? Is the lizard the teacher here? Because, I mean, Doc Connors was a professor at ESU when Peter was going there. So I guess he's back in grad school trying to do it for real? I mean, I guess so. But, well, all right. As a grad student, I think if he'd finished his coursework, they wouldn't make him redo the coursework. They would just make him rewrite the publications. Yeah, yeah, but that's fine. Because that's, as as a current dissertator, it is not a very dynamic existence. I wake up, I stare at my computer screen and write and type and send emails, and then I make dinner and go to bed. How often are giant lizards in front of the class teaching? Well, I use giant lizards, quote unquote, to teach the students they're called dinosaurs as a paleontologist it, it comes up i feel like there's liability issues with having a giant lizard in a, tra- in a white lab coat for teaching students yeah no i try to stick to the fossils that <laughs> way you know it's, it's harder to have a fossil run amok I mean, don't let the jurassic park series fool you fossils are usually very static this was incredibly fun beautifully drawn this is a great restart to the universe nick spencer seems to be made to write spider-man i couldn't be more excited for this book going forward this is already now one of my most anticipated books when it comes out, I guess, every three weeks or two weeks or every week. Or maybe there's a new issue no, Actually, right the, now. the next one comes out tomorrow. Oh, perfect. So whenever the next issue comes out, I'll be very excited for it. Amazing Spider-Man number one, if you're someone who... Was waiting around for another Spider-Man book? Or, you know, just want to jump on Spider-Man and never read it before or haven't read it in a long time, this is a great jumping on point. It's a bit of a slate cleaner. They're starting over. I loved this issue so much. Another issue that I really liked a lot that could have been picked... Superman number one. This is now Brian Michael Bendis's official ongoing start for Superman, drawn by Ivan Reese with Joe Prado on inks. I mean, this basically comes right out of the miniseries. It, it, it gives you enough information, plus the return of the recap page at DC anyway. Although no other book had it, so maybe that's just going to be a Bendis thing. But Bendis gets a recap page here, which tells you what happened in the miniseries of Man of Steel if you didn't read that miniseries. So his son and wife are gone to space. The communicator that gave him to talk to them broke in the battle with that ugly-faced dude in the miniseries, so he can't talk to them. He doesn't know where they are. He tries desperately to go into space to see if he can figure out where they are, but space is just too big, Ryan. I've heard. And he can't find them, so he goes back to Earth. Doesn't look like he went very far. If that's supposed to be Saturn in that drawing, (laughs) he didn't even leave the solar system. Well, I think he got the sense that, you know what, I I just, what am I doing? I did really like the bumping into an alien invasion that is on its way to Earth and just cutting them off way early and then being really confused about, like, wait a second, we hang on. But that was the, theme, the like, theme of this book, right? It was very Samaritan-like, where he, in the middle of conversations, he had You know what? That's, that's, I didn't make that connection, but I did think the line work here had kind of a, a Brent Anderson vibe. Mm, I can see that. The early Brent Anderson vibe, yeah. In a good way. I mean, I know, yeah, I know a recent episode you guys talked about some people who aren't Brett Anderson fans, and I don't agree with those people. So this is sort of a day in the life of Superman in which he is constantly being called away in the midst of trying to do his, his daily life. So he 
is trying to write a story, but he, he can't figure out what to write. He keeps writing about himself, and he feels like it's very egotistical. Then John Jones calls him to have a very bizarre, and I thought un-John Jones-like conversation. I thought yeah, that, was, that, that was probably the sketchiest part of the book, where John basically tells him he should take over the earth and rule it. I don't feel like that was something John would ever say. It starts off nice, where he's like, listen, we both are very similar now. Someone destroyed our races, so we're even closer than we were before. Then it takes that dark turn where he says, you should basically lead the people. He says, Earth is very quickly going to become a part of you know the galactic community. Uh, we know there's other civilizations out there, and if Earth doesn't want to embarrass itself, they need to grow up a little bit, and you are the person who can help them do that, if you're willing to take charge and take on that role. Right. It doesn't go over well, Superman. So he also builds a new fortress of solitude. The last one was destroyed in the miniseries. That's a pet peeve of mine. What? I don't know if this was worth going on the list, but I don't like it when they move the Fortress of Solitude to a new location. Yeah, especially the Bermuda Triangle. Right. I I, I rolled my eyes a little bit. Yeah. When that happened internally. I mean, I get it, it. For a while, it was in the jungle, right? I've only ever really known it to be in... Was it, was there was it? definitely one where it was like near Mayan ruins, you know, so somewhere in Central America or something, but I remember that for a while, but now that's not a thing anymore. It just seems like... Bermuda Triangle is rife with problems. <laughs> or not rife with problems <laughs> if you have a bit more of a skeptical take on the situation there. Well, the comic book version of it, Ryan, is rife with problems. Fair enough. Fair enough. But this was fun. This was really fun. It looked great. Ivan Reese and Joe Prado. Prado you know, they're terrific. I know that they're not going to be able to keep up with the monthly schedule, but or whatever the schedule is for this book. And I love the page with the Justice League where Ivan Reese is just like, fuck it, I'm not drawing this Flash costume. Just... To have the colors put some random lines on it. The boots are a little fussy on the Flash. Yeah, no shit. Other than that. This was fun. I'm looking forward to more. He, he's also writing action, which I think is next week or sometime soon. I'm really excited about where Superman is right now. I missed the attractive fire inspector lady, so hopefully maybe she'll be at the action. Well, he called her, didn't he? Yeah. He, he called her, but we didn't get to see her. Listen. I, I like where that storyline seems to be going. It's very inter- It's very interesting. It seems to be walking a razor's edge of uh, potentially some inappropriate Superman. And some Superman people stuff. have a area code rule where it doesn't count if it's a different area code. Superman's rule is if she's not in the galaxy, you know, all bets are off. I don't think he has that rule. I don't think anything's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the tension. The Flash 50 was also was very close to pick of the week. Josh Williams and Howard Porter, this is the final issue of the Flash War story in which Barry and Wally have been at odds while also fighting Professor Zoom. This really did a lot of stuff to the Flash world. This issue was very impactful. For First of all, I want to say, you've been, you've been pointing this out in the past couple of shows that I haven't been on, but you yeah. are not wrong about having a hard time being mad at Zoom while he's in the correct costume. Exactly. You're not wrong about that. How can you fault a man with such impeccable fashion sense? Yeah. Why well, you got these two idiots running around in these dumb costumes? <laughs> yeah, so one of them is dressed properly, and it's hard not to root for him. I mean, if I was standing looking at all of them, I'd be like, well, that's the hero right there. Mm-hmm. It's not really their fault, but this whole making the Flash world like Green Lantern with the different forces is dumb. We've said this before, but the still force and the, the sage force and the strength force, this is all dumb. But we're stuck with it, so we have to make the best of it. Would you rather have the forces, or would you rather they have brought all these kids back? Um, I mean, do I have to choose? Yes, you do, actually. <sighs> I'd rather have the forces. Yeah, that's I'll true. go on record. I, I was very nervous reading this that it was going <laughs> to end with, with all these kids coming back. So a lot happens here. This is, a, this is an oversized issue. So in the course of fighting Zoom, 
they erase the future. So Wallace West, we'll call him Wallace, the new Black Wally West, Iris West, and Commander Cold are all sort of stuck in limbo because they went back to the future. And not only was there no flying cars, but there was no future to go back to. So they're trying to get home. Somehow Wallace runs them home, even though he's got nothing to run on because they're just floating in space. And in the course of fighting Zoom again, they go into the Speed Force and we see a bunch of flashbacks to seminal moments in Flash history in the past, pre-New 52. We see the kids, we see Christ in Infinite Earths, we see stuff from Rebirth. We see a lot of stuff. They sever the ability for Flash's to time travel. So they, they sever the Speed Force from any temporal energy. So now, even with a cosmic treadmill, they can't time travel anymore. But there's a point where all these people from the past sort of appear as blue outlines coming out of Wally's chest. So you got Max Mercury and you have Jay Garrick and and Impulse and uh, Jesse Quick and someone else back there. And they all all sort of beat on Zoom, and that's how they win. So it's very confusing, but it seems like there's no more time travel for the time being. The future has been changed. Wally didn't get his kids back. The relationship is somewhat patched up, but not entirely. Commander Cold from the future is in the present. Wallace West, Kid Flash, is being very bitchy about everything. Getting a real Damien vibe. And it's made explicit because they even say he's hanging out with Damien a lot. But he really doesn't have a place in the story once they brought the original Wally West back. Yeah, it's sort of an awkward thing to have them side by side. But now we've also got a new Kid Speedster back. Yeah, so the big reveal on the final page is that Impulse has returned from somewhere. Bart Allen. Is it Barry's grandson or just a further descendant? Grandson. Grandson. Okay. So this is even more bleed over from the old universe in, in these books. And I will again say, I feel like if they keep doing this, they have to be doing it for a reason. You're thinking Dr. manhattan Well, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. They're being so blasé about it. And that miniseries so far has done nothing to address the actual <laughs> mystery of Dr. Manhattan causing the, the flashpoint to happen. Who do you think this guy that teased at the very end is? He's inmate crisis, and it sort of looks like the monitor symbols. It could be the anti-monitor. It could be the monitor. That'd be my guess right now. But he escapes in... I guess, wait, did the future get rebuilt then? Yeah, that was confusing. Time travel is a headache inducer. Yeah. Julie and I argue about time travel like more than I think most couples do. I don't know. How often do you argue about time travel with your wife? Very rarely. Okay, yeah. See, like, Julie and I will actually, like, it, it gets a little testy. Because <laughs> I have a very specific idea for how certain stories like the Harry Potter series work, and mm-hmm. she disagrees with me, and she's wrong, but I can't convince her. I've drawn diagrams. <laughs> we've brought in other people. Just be careful discussing time travel with a, with a close partner, because you, you might have a falling out. So this was fun, if, if a little confusing. I really liked this Flash War storyline. Unlike Josh, I don't mind it when the heroes are at odds, because I know they'll always end up working it out, which mostly happens here. And I just really want them to fix things, and Flash seems to be the only place where they're fixing things. At least partially. At least at least acknowledging things are wrong. Yeah, well, Flash is good at one thing. It's staying a step ahead. So this week we had a surprise book uh, dropped at comic stores and on Comixology on Wednesday. Die, 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 number one, from Robert Kirkman and Scott Gimple, who is his co-executive producer on The Walking Dead TV show. Art by Chris Burnham, who's one of our favorites. This was not announced, this was not teased, this was not in previews, this was not a book that anybody knew about. It just suddenly appeared at comic stores and on Comixology. You read this, right? I did, yes. I thought this was a very un 
Kirkman-like book. Interesting. It felt more like a dash of Morrison, a dash of Miller. It's possible because it's Burnham, and he, I associate him with those guys, but mm-hmm. it didn't feel... I don't. I don't want to say high concept because it is high concept, but it just felt more edgy. Do you think that's the gimple? Is that, is that the gimple touch? Maybe it's a dash of gimple. <laughs> it sounds weird to say gimple touch, but uh, there, what did there you think is. of this? This week, not all the books uh, I'm thinking of in this moment made the show, but this week there was a lot of hyper violence in my mm-hmm. comics, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, the nose, the nose scene in this got <laughs> under my skin. It I got you. That's not a. Oh yeah. Oh, so gross. It's gross, and it's like your worst nightmare because there's like no coming back from that. I know. I uh, yeah. So there's a there's a spy who I guess works for a senator. I thought he was British, so I was very confused. Yeah, it was the whole switching back and forth between the U.S. and the U.K. was a little. I agree, a little confusing as well. But yeah, essentially the the senator is trying to get a another senator killed, but wants to make it as uneventful as possible and so she like runs through all these scenarios for how like the minimum number of people she has to affect or kill or otherwise alter the lives of to get what she wants and then you know it's a using an operative to pull that off but the job doesn't go quite right it was a pretty interesting idea i liked that sequence a lot where she goes through the scenarios it's like the domino effect right yeah that to me was the strongest the strongest part of the book i could just shoot the guy but i'm not going to do that so how else can i get him to change all right so i'll go through this guy will do this to this guy which will do this to this woman which will do this to this guy which will do this to this. and it just kept going like a domino to get to the point of giving this guy a winning ticket at the racetrack which is the first thing we saw when the book opened was it the first thing we saw in the book opened? yes it was the yes, first it was. scene yeah. so it was uh that was a fun sequence this her operative out in the field who is this guy's asian secret agent gets his nose cut off in a very gruesome way and then we find out he's got two twin brothers one of whom is like this hyper wealthy uh, maybe arms dealer or something like that. he's got a lot of he's got a lot of stuff in his house and then the other guy sort of lives in the woods and is sort of like a badass woodsman so i guess they're all they're gonna go save their brother i actually really liked it I and mean, i love burnham his books look like nobody else's books even the I mean, I'm looking at the final page of the guy's got no nose, and I just don't like it. it makes oh, yeah, me no, that's super gross. Do not like. There's an intensity to Burnham's work that you just don't find anywhere else. This was inventive enough and different enough that I really, I really did like it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, it's a little Frank Quitely in a good way. Yeah. I also enjoyed it. I say that there was a lot of hyperviolence in my books this week. That doesn't necessarily bother me. I just have certain little things where I'm just like, oh, you know, get the heebie-jeebies. No one wants to watch a guy's nose get slowly cut off. Yeah, the slowness doesn't help, for sure. This isn't like Chinatown nose cutting. This is like lopping off the nose. Forget it, Connor. It's, <laughs> did you, it's die, die, die. Did you read um, Outpost Zero from Image this week? Yes, I did. I had it um, in my stack, and it, it would have been one of those that I might not have read before recording the show had you not suggested I do it, and I'm very glad I did. Yeah, this was a book that also was in the Mixer Pick of the Week. Sean McKeever wrote it. Alexandre... And then there's a last name with a lot of letters that don't naturally come out of my mouth. Tafinki. Tafinki. There's a KG. That's an interesting combo. Sean McKeever has been around for a long time. He's sort of 
known for doing teen stories. The Waiting Place was the book that blew him up a long time ago. It was about teens in a small town. Then he did a bunch of like YA Spider-Man OGNs that I really liked. And you know, if those young characters, they, they threw him on those books. I haven't seen his name in a long time on a book. But this was really terrific. This was also extra long. There's a lot of extra long issues this week. So the basic story of Outpost Zero is that at some point humans have fled the Earth and this outpost crashed in the wrong location. It's sort of like on a glacier planet. And they can't go outside, so they've created a life sort of in their, I guess their ship. It's a dome. They built a dome or something. That happened in the past. This is the people who are living there now. Right. And they're constantly working to survive. They're not really growing as a society. They haven't made it out of the dome. They just are constantly in maintenance mode. They're constantly growing food. The people are tested for aptitude and put immediately into work at 14. So, the, you know, all these friends are all taking the test, and one gets put in the engineer team, and one gets put in sort of the service maintenance team, and one gets put in the discovery team, which is a very small team, and it's all about trying to find what's out there. And I mean, this, had, this to me, had a very belters in the expanse vibes that's okay right yeah yeah for sure which is good i was super excited and also um the gabe hardman aliens book that came out this week had also kind of an expansey vibe to it and more things that remind me of the expanse are good (laughs) so i thought this was terrific i mean it's a great sci-fi book but i thought it was a really really fun teen story the characters were all interesting they all had interesting conflicts and personal stuff and stuff that only teens get really really upset about and well they're basically moving from childhood into adulthood here on this in this world where they have to start working and and then there's of course a giant catastrophe there's a giant storm happening that's coming their way and the last time that happened it killed hundreds of people from the dome so you know we've got like a ticking clock problem happening here i like when future stuff is already old in the story that's being told yeah it's just it's a cool vibe i dig it and there's a fun little mystery here and i think the idea of that sort of struggle in a society between maintaining a system that barely works but does work versus those who want to push for something new, bigger, different, even if it comes at great risk, is a very resonant story. And this is, seems like it's being told in a very compelling way. How much energy do you put out to explore versus survive? survive. And that's a yeah. very compelling argument because as humans, I think we're natural explorers. But you also need to be able to live and everything in this society is being put towards maintenance, basically. Some people want more than that. I was not expecting... I sort of read it on a lark. I was like, oh, Sean McKeever, weird. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Sci-fi story. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I was really impressed by it. This was this was something I read really early in the stack before Spider-Man. And I thought, oh, this, wow, this... I mean, this right now, this would be the pick of the week. This and Mech Cadet U are books I could see giving to young people. Yeah. I really liked it. And I- hoping they would enjoy them. Real quick, let's talk about Harry's, Ryan. I used my Harry's razor this morning. I have a nice, clean shave, smooth to the touch. Even though it's really humid in L.A. right now and we all want to die because we can't handle it, it makes the skin nice, the moisture in the air, and when you combine that with the Harry's razors, you get a nice skin situation happening. So as much as I want to die because of the humidity, I appreciate the effect on my, my skin and the effect of the razor blade and the beautiful cream on my skin and the way everything feels right now. I feel good. That's what I'm trying to tell you, without being too weird about it. As long as you're careful around the nose when you're shaving. I'm always very careful. I tend to stop at the nose and not slowly slide up. Good. Good call. The thing is, the quality of the Harry's blades, I'm sure, could take off the nose if I tried hard enough. But I haven't done that yet. We're not at that point. 
And the reason why it could take off a nose probably is a hairy stance behind the quality of their blades. And they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision, so they created a trial offer. And you can claim yours by going to harrys.com slash ifanboy. Harry's founders were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features. And they knew a great shave comes down to a great blade made with a sharp, durable steel that lasts. That's why they bought the factory in Germany. They went to the source where they would make the greatest blades, and they decided to do it there. And by selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's can offer you their blades at a discounted price. Just $2 per blade compared to $4 or more at the stores. And quality guarantee is this. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know within 30 days and they'll give you a full refund. If you cut off your nose, I don't know if that's also refundable. So just don't, don't even try it. Here's the details on the offer. Get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover, which is a must for all you people out there who go anywhere. So here's what you do, my fanboy listeners. You go to harrys.com slash ifanboy to redeem that trial set. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash ifanboy to get your set and let them know we sent you when you do. It helps support the show. We thank everyone who does. So many people do and they let us know. We appreciate that. So I wanted to talk about the dead hand Number four, because we talked about number one when you were on the show before. And I don't believe I've talked about it since because I know Josh isn't reading it. Are you still reading it? I forgot about it until you put it on the list and then was sad that I'd forgotten about it and eagerly caught up and was very happy I did. It's fascinating because there are definitely things about it I don't like, but I still really want to know what happens next. So I guess that's a sign of a successful book. Yeah. The art, I find has mixed results for me i mostly like it but every once in a while like i think the teenagers are all drawn to look very adult when we talked about it i really liked it but since then i've liked it less and less i get a very like photo tracy vibe from it yeah i've started to get that too there are some things i really like though the action sequences when it all goes it'll go monotone yeah for the action sequences except for maybe the principal person we're supposed to be watching i think that's a really clever trick that i don't know that i've seen before and all the, I mean, this is a very tech-heavy book. Yeah. There's a lot of big, clunky machinery and hardware and, and stuff like that. And I think that's all done really well. I am going to support any book that includes the Russian space shuttle. That's awesome. Which is not a thing a lot of people know about, but Russia actually did build a space shuttle in the late 80s. And there's two in the hangar that they go into. It, the, as far as we know, Russia only ever built one. And it went on one unmanned flight and then never flew again and was destroyed when its warehouse that it was in collapsed in a fire. That's what they want you to think. Right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, this being a Cold War book, who knows what the real story was? That's that's the story I knew, but I love the Russian shuttle because it's such a blatant ripoff of our shuttle, but with all those wonderful little Russian design twists and, yeah. I like the mystery, you know, this fake American town in, the, in Siberia being run by American and French spy, but they are constantly keeping this computer, which thinks it's a little boy, which controls all the Russian nuclear missiles, happy. It's sort of like a Twilight Zone vibe, you know, like, you know, the, what was that one? The little kid who kills everyone with his mind. Anyway, the point is, it has a Twilight zone vibe. It has a Cold War vibe. It ha- I mean, it's in the Cold, it's post-Cold War, but it has all that stuff going for it. The art sometimes bugs me, but I really want to know what happens next. And I really want to know how they got into this predicament because they, they were not this way when the story started in the flashback. Yeah, I like it too. And it's also the sort of War Games vibe where you've got a computer yeah. that's capable of learning. And so you have to make sure that it learns that launching nukes at people are bad right but you've got to do it very carefully because because of the way the computer set up its finger is basically always on the trigger well what so what i've been told is you just teach it that no one can win in checkers tic-tac-toe that's right it was was tic-tac-toe that's right 
It's, I it's, believe there is a way to win at checkers, but it's computationally very difficult to actually suss out. Tic-tac-toe is weird because as a kid, people would win. That's just because kids are dumb. Yeah, I mean, there's that trick if you don't start in the center. If you start in one of the corners, you can you can set yourself up for a, a sweep where the person is. You have two possible avenues to win. But mm-hmm. again, once the other person knows that trick, then the, the school ground is no longer yours to dominate. But they never did that in Hollywood Squares. Nope, that's true. Hollywood Square is not the most strategic game. They, well, they always put the most important celebrity at the center square. No, that was always the it was always the recurring celebrity. Like the recurring, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Hollywood Squares some more. Exiles number five. Yes, this was the end of the first arc, and I only wanted to talk about this because in issue four and then again in issue five, we have the return of 1970s Nick Fury, and I thought you would want to know that. That's awesome. How has this book been? Because I didn't. Make it past the first issue. I've been enjoying it. When we first talked about issue one, I am a admitted ex- Exiles fan. Right. They brought in Valkyrie, not the MCU version, because she t- talks with old-timey Thor talk. Right. Which is fun. You don't know you missed that until it's gone, I guess. And then um, they brought in the Chibi Wolverine, who's not as bad and is sparingly used to the point where I, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun because they're dealing with this existential threat that is capable of wiping out reality. But because he's a cartoon character, he can't die because it's for kids. And so every time Kang tries to obliterate him, he just pops back into existence. That's pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's funny. And then you so you get old Nick Fury. There's a little too much of the unseen in this for my taste. But they defeated the Kang version who was wearing Galactus's armor and eating timelines by going and retrieving a bunch of other blinks from a bunch of other multiverses and Kamala Khan sacrifices herself at one point. So now the team is the team from the first couple of issues minus Kamala Khan. And they're taking a break back in the Caribbean where blink is from waiting to see where the next threat pops up. I enjoyed it. I feel like there's a lot of books this week that had science or science elements in them, which is fortuitous that you're on the show. One of them being Hawkman number two. So you read this? I yes, wasn't sir. sure if you were going to yeah, keep, yeah, keep with it. I have to contractually read a Hawkman book. Okay. I read the Death of Hawkman miniseries and all those Hawkman-related miniseries before that. I just can't not do it. So you're, you're pot committed. You know, this is a little closer to how my actual experience in academia works than what Peter Parker's going through, where <laughs> you just show up at a museum. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. You mean the experience where Carter Hall goes back in time and fights and, and smashes precious artifacts in museums? That's closer to your, your experience? That part hasn't happened yet, but the scene, there is like a two-page sequence where he does just walk into a museum and talk to one of the curators and say, hey, can I do some research on this thing? And the guy's like, yeah, I mean, you're an expert in this, so go ahead. And that, to me, is much closer to my my actual academic experience of just like, hey, can I borrow this to do science to it? And, and if a person isn't currently using it for something, a lot of times they say yes. I kind of actually like the current rejiggering of the Hawkman mythos. I know it's constantly in a state of flux, but... Mm-hmm. I actually kind of like the the continuity rejiggering that's happening here, and I like the idea of all the different Hawkmen through time, especially the the hinting at a Kryptonian one. Yeah. Which, is that new to this this book? I think all of this is new. I don't recall finding out that the Nighthawk character, who was a character from you know from the '40s, the DC Western line, is now Hawkman. I didn't know if that was a thing or not. I feel like I'd heard that one before, but maybe I hadn't. Maybe I'm just retroactively changing my own memory continuity. At the end of the issue, it's revealed that Hawkman's going to have to go to Dinosaur Island. 
Perfect. I have issues with that page, Connor. <laughs> well, first, before we get to that, I I think it's a mistake that they're that the only story that they can tell Talkman is about his lineage. I think they really have painted themselves into a corner where it's been like 10 years and the only Hawkman story we ever get is about who am I? What is the origin of my reincarnations? And who is my my real identity? Like, I just, I feel like it's a problem that it's all they can tell in these Hawkman solo stories. But I'm enjoying this one. Robert, I think Robert Venditti is really good. And I, I'm actually really liking the Brian Hitch art, as I talked about last That's time. good Hitch. Yeah. So I'm, in, I'm against my better judgment, I am enjoying this. Now let's talk about the, the last page. You don't like the dinosaurs just hanging out? No, that's fine. It's just these are three dinosaurs that didn't live at the same time nor in the same continent. But it's Dinosaur Island, so I think all bets well, are off in that sense. But also, the the tiny little bipedal dinosaurs in the foreground, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Cetacosaurus and Brian Hitch. Since I assume you're listening, Cetacosaurus actually had these kind of long filaments, feathery hair-looking structures on the back of its haunches and tail. Go ahead and go check the fossils for that and update your drawings, please. Yeah. That was my main thing. Who will be the first to really take a stand and start drawing dinosaurs the way we think they look now with the feathers and colors? If any artist listening, just put feathers on all of them at this point. Like, we have so much, we have to make up for so many lacking feathers. I know starting with the velociraptor type thing would be a good first step, but even at this point, we're we're finding large T-Rex-sized animals that had some sort of downy covering on them. So just go nuts with the feathers. Put feathers on everything. Let's get to a, a point where we're telling you to scale back the feathers, then we'll talk. I mean, at, at this point, we've, we've learned so much in the, in the, what was the last 10 year, years we found out the, the feathers and the colors and everything. Is, I realize that the pop cultural view of dinosaurs is just giant lizard creatures, but, but man, we know so much now. Yeah, we're finding new species, not just dinosaurs, but new species in the fossil record at a pretty incredible rate just because there are a lot of people actually looking and doing the work right now. And so it's a pretty vibrant field to be in and to be paying attention to. And there's lots of really cool new stuff. We found a dinosaur that's asleep. Like it's it's curled up in a little ball and it's got like its nose tucked under its arm and it looks like a sleeping bird. It's beautiful. We found lots of really cool stuff. Are we prepared at this point to say they were just gigantic birds? Basically, yeah. I mean, or birds today are just tiny dinosaurs. Look at it that way. If I looked at it that way, I'd have to start killing all the birds. And, the, and Okay, so now we're going to get into my recipe for a great roast chicken. <laughs> Let's talk about that later. Plastic Man number two. Was there any dinosaur or science in Plastic Man number two? No. Uh, this is being written by Gail Simone with art by Adriana Mello. And I think the art is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Just super clean lines and good, good acting, good facial acting and cartooning. Uh, a lot of times, I don't find that Gail Simone's work resonates with me. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time connecting to her stories. This one is is so far so good. I'm interested. There's a little bit of a mystery. But the main thing I wanted to point out is there's a couple of cool things that are done from a comics storytelling standpoint. And one is using Plastic Man's arm as the panel gutter for a couple of pages. Mm. And I'd just never seen that before, even though there are a number of stretchy characters in comics. I'd never seen the stretchiness used to kind of meta tell the story and make them part of the panel breaks well there's not a lot of books where the stretch character is the lead yeah and then um there's a funny page where it's sort of a where's waldo but it's a where's waldo of painful dehumanizing morass of immorality so there's like a dog experiencing ennui and a street hustler selling roombas and a family of street fighting emus so wait like, can i buy a roomba on the, off the street uh, from this guy apparently although he looks pretty shady it does say street hustler so it's probably mm. 
it's not a real Roomba. It's probably just well, it, like in a the, compact disc player with a brush. On in the it. late '80s, and I can tell the story because there's no way she's listening. In the late '80s, my aunt from Texas came to New York City to visit us. She used to come a lot for work, and this was when video cameras were first, were like uh, where people were buying them. They were really expensive. And she came home very excitedly to show us that she had bought a video camera off the street from some guy for very cheap. And she opened the box up and it was a brick. There you go. That's the New York in the 80s for you. The great thing when, when Josh is gone, definitely not learning how to make pasta, is I always feel like I've got a reprieve from Star Wars comics. And yet here we go again, Star Wars Corner. Yeah, Star Wars Darth Vader, number 18, story by Charles Sewell, art by Giuseppe Camancoli, and inks by Daniel Orlandini. This was probably my pick of the week. Wow. This was a really good standalone one-shot issue. Vader is on a planet being hunted by then-Governor Tarkin and a, an elite hunting squad that he's put together to try to bring Vader down. Why is he doing this? It is revealed toward the end of the book, or the end of this issue, that Vader asked him to. Vader basically says, hey, I have a request. I want you to kill me if you can. And the internal narration the internal monologuing is all tarkin and he just kind of thinks that vader is kind of bored now that there's no jedi to kill and he's he thinks that vader is worried that there's no one left in the galaxy who's actually a match for him i thought these comics all took place after a new hope that's a good point so this must be a flashback yeah because because tarkin got blowed up yeah it doesn't matter i don't really care i'm glad you enjoyed it it sounds cool it does sound cool it was cool. I mean, because he starts off with this really big team. It sort of reminds me of the the team of dinosaur hunters from Lost World Jurassic Park, where he's got this like team of various people with various skills. He says, okay, so we know blasters don't work because he can stop them with the force and, and deflect them with his lightsaber. So they try flamethrowers because they think maybe he's scared of fire mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. And then they're like, okay, we got to get his lightsaber away from him. And so he's like, all right, we lost four people trying to get his lightsaber away from him, but now we got his lightsaber away from him. Now let's figure out how far away he can force choke people. Okay, we lost two people, cause, but now we know how far away we have to stay from him. So there was science in this. They were doing basically science experiments. On yeah, it. he was testing and probing Vader's abilities to, to figure out the limits of, of what it would take to bring down Vader. And it ends on a, a salt flat where uh, a storm is brewing and the tallest object out on the plains tends to be the one that gets hit by lightning. So it was just cool. It was a cool issue. It was like... Tarkin and, and Vader really matching wits against each other and seeing who is who is more hardcore and who could really bring down who. And it it sort of ends in a stalemate. And maybe there's a little bit of a grudging respect between them because of it. It was just a really good one and done issue. And I, I really liked it. Awesome. So those are the books we want to talk about. If you go to patreon.com slash iFanboy and join up at any level, you can vote every week to add a book to the rundown. And this week, we had an unusually large number of different books receive votes. And so there was a pretty close race. But the winner at the end was Farmhand, number one, from Image Comics. This is Rob Guillory's solo book after Chew. He wrote it and drew it with colors by Taylor Wells and letters by Cody Chamberlain. This is a book that Josh, when he interviewed Rob Guillory, just announced. So I've been looking forward to this because I I really loved his work on Chew. This also, Ryan, includes much sciencing. Mm Mm-hmm. This one was pretty accurate. I didn't find any issues here. So the thing is, I didn't really know anything about it. And so when I looked at the cover and I saw a guy watering... The farm, and it's a bunch of green zombie hands coming out of the ground. I was like, oh, I, don't want, I don't want a zombie book. This is, this is no good. But then once you read it, you realize it's not really zombies. It's more like horror science. Yeah, it's a farmer who figured out how to grow stem cells for various organs as if they were plants, and then they just chop them off the plant, and they can install them into humans, and it, they work perfectly. They sort of morph from growing stem cells to growing like limbs and growing eyeballs and growing 
fingers. They're able to grow those because pluripotent stem cells can grow into any kind of cell. Sure, but they somehow make them so like they've got like a tree full of hands and they got right. they got a like a tomato trellis thing full of eyeballs and Yeah, very body horror. Much like the nose getting cut off in Die Die Die. There's a lot of this issue where I was like, ugh. Mm-hmm. But uh, so here we meet our main character, who is very similar to Rob Guillory, who uh, was the son of the farmer, and he's bringing his wife and kids to go see Grandpa, who is, has turned this farm into this giant, you know, bio uh, empire. He's an heir to it, and so they go meet Grandpa. And in the midst of that, there's a attempt for some industrial espionage that is thwarted gruesomely. So there's a lot of mysteries happening. So how dark is this place? Pretty dark by the at the end, as we see. <laughs> And what is really going on here? The son doesn't really know. He's been estranged from his dad for a long time. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I liked it too. Having listened to Josh's interview with Rob Guillory, knowing that this is a very personal story for him, as you said, the protagonist looks like Rob Guillory and he's in a a mixed race marriage. And so his kids are interracial and he's from Southern Louisiana and this book takes place there. And so I read this book and I was like, Holy shit, Rob, what are you trying to work out, man? <laughs> you okay? <laughs> is everything all right? I mean, and that's good because it adds a sense of realism to it. It does. In terms yeah. of the emotional relationships, not necessarily the kid spy getting his chopped off arm reattached with a green arm that right. looks like a monster. But the rest of it have felt very resonant. Yeah, so I'm very interested to see where this goes. Yeah, I liked it. Guillory's art is still incredible and his knack for hiding tiny jokes throughout his books persists yeah it's very funny for chew fans i think this is probably a must read it feels very tonally like chew there's a scientist holding a clipboard and on the clipboard it just says wtf analysis science <laughs> which is that's what that's what i assume is on your clipboard uh more often than not i'm very often confused and what don't fuck? know what, what's going on yeah nothing makes sense and nothing matters ratings for Farmhand number one. I'm out of five. I'm gonna give it a four. Yeah, I think I was also leaning four, maybe even a four point two five, just because of how nice it is to have Rob Guillory's art back in my eyeballs. Sticking with it, I'm gonna stick with it. Number two comes out in August. I am also sticking with it. So there you go, Farmhand number one. That's the Patreon pick, Patreon.com/ifanboy, and also at Patreon.com/ifanboy. If you give it the five dollar or higher level, we bestow upon you as a way of thanks a superpower. Is it dumb? Is it useful? That's in the eye of the beholder and the and the recipient. So we're going to start off by thanking David Pasek. And David knows all of your stats, but only if you ask him. And what I mean is, Ryan, for instance, you could say, hey, David, how many steps have I taken in my lifetime? And he goes, oh, well, you've taken 3,325,472 steps. Hmm. But he only knows that if you ask him. It's not like he knows your information. It's like he can't access the information unless he's prompted. What about stats that, like... Maybe don't technically exist, but I'm used to thinking of in terms of like, what are my hit points? Like, how many hit points do I have? Could he tell me that? No, I mean, this is real, it's, it's real information. So he could tell you how many times you've watched. So he could tell me like how many calories I've eaten in my entire life. Yes. Anything measurable. How many times huh. you've watched The Godfather? How many, how many times I've farted? Yes. He, can, he knows everything, but he has to be prompted and he doesn't remember the information. Does he get annoyed if I, am, if I ask him too, too, many, too often? Sure. I mean, he's only human. Is he, though? It sounds like he's more than human now. <laughs> I can't do it today, Ryan. I just can't. But he, he's, he's got it all. He can, he, can, he can tell anybody any stats. How many, people have, how many people have lived throughout the entire history of the world? He knows. Well, that's, uh, that's a stat about our species. It's not really sure. a stat, just about a, a person. He knows all the stats. 
But what stat would you want to know about yourself? Hmm. I would want to know what's the tallest I've ever been. Hmm. Like in an absolute term, you know, I've gotten a good night's sleep. My discs aren't compacted at all. I'm at the peak. What's I'd like to know to be. what are the top 10 movies I've seen the most. Hmm. I've, I've I'm the surprised most. you don't have a spreadsheet already for yourself. If only as a child had I known. <laughs> if I only would've... young Connor had been given a <laughs> tiny little copy of Excel to, I, to use. I would have done that, but I don't know. That's something I'm very curious about just in general sometimes. So I would ask him things like that. Well, John Dudley also has a power. Mm-hmm. And his power is people actually read his emails. So, like, if he sends an email, he knows that it will be read and interpreted correctly. And responded to? Not necessarily responded to. But you know how like, I, this, I, I sometimes feel like I will send an email and then the response I get has almost nothing to do with mm-hmm. the email I sent. And it's as if the person has not read the email. They're how just, long are these emails you're sending? It doesn't, you know, it depends on the number of times the person has responded improperly and the emails tend to get shorter and shorter and eventually things start to get bullet pointed. Well, in my professional life, I have learned to sort of start at the bullet point because... Yeah, yeah, you can't waste time. People are not willing to read very much anymore. No, they're not. But they are, if if John Dudley sends it to them, they have to read it. They're compelled. That's his power, is that he knows no matter what he says in an email, the person it was sent to will sit down and they will read it word for word. It doesn't completely eliminate the chance for misinterpretation mm-hmm. and people responding to the wrong aspects of the things he thought were important and needed the more more, more urgent response to. But uh-huh. it definitely it makes it a lot less likely. I see. Someone's been having email stress at work. I mean, that's that's I, I think email stress in my life in general, because I because here's the thing, Connor. Mm-hmm. I'm not an amazing writer. Right. I know I'm not a bad communicator in general. No. And so when things keep being responded to wrong, as, as eventually you get a bit of a complex. And you're sure. like, am I bad at this? Am I bad at sending a clear email? I don't think I am. So it would be nice if I at least had the the guarantee. Is it a widespread problem? I don't know. Is it? Are, are with other you. People... I mean, with you. Is there just certain people that have problems with you enough? <sighs> it feels like it's spread in, in recent times. Maybe I am getting worse. Maybe it is me. But... If I had John Dudley's power, I would worry about it less. So this power for Daniel Fortis is uh, fortuitous because it is Friday for us as we record. And also because you're on the show. But Daniel Fortis makes the perfect cocktail for the person and the time and the mood. Wow. So you might go to a bar and be like, eh, I'll have an old fashioned. He's like, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. you don't want an old fashioned. You want a basil gimlet. And you drink it, and you're like, yes, you're right. I needed this. This this is perfect. You didn't even know it, but he just knows the exact perfect cocktail for the time, the place, and the mood. What if it's like the morning and you want a cup of coffee? Does he still go, nope? No. Here's a Bloody Mary. <laughs> like, is he always... I mean, Irish coffee. to have a cocktail in every in every circumstance? Yeah, I mean, you don't, like, you, you don't want to... So he, you, don't, you don't schedule a lunch date with, with Dan unless you got nothing else going on the rest of the day? <laughs> Basically. Okay. But also, I mean, you know, he's not like a monster. He's not going to force you to drink at seven in the morning. He's just like if you ask him to make a drink, he yeah, knows he knows exactly what what you need. I, I feel like he, I feel like his power is so passively wonderful that you'd have a hard time not saying yes. True. You know, when you're when you're saying like, oh man, let's go get lunch. There's this really great sandwich place. He says, yeah, but you're going to need an aperol spritz before you have that sandwich because you're going to want to open up your stomach with an aperitivo. And and I'll be like, well, I'll be damned. You're right. Are Daniel and all of his friends alcoholics? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like an expensive lifestyle. How does he afford this? <laughs> he just has all he has all the ingredients, everything you need. Okay. 
I wonder if he ever meets the person who like all they need is just here. Here's a, a pour of some Pappy Van Winkle neat. And that's, and that's what you need. That's what you need. I've had that. It's good. Yeah. Michael Anuziata uh, is job. immune to stinging insects. Oh, interesting. I was in the woods recently. This is, this oh, is more that's a good relevant to, to my life than the email thing. Really? Yeah. And like, I actually tend to be I tend to be one of those people. I don't I don't go crazy with the bug spray or sunscreen. I usually will just go ahead and wear pants and a long shirt out mm-hmm. in the woods. You know, I've got like some breathable stuff that's for hiking and camping. And I prefer that to, to covering myself with a bunch of stuff. Are you immune to carcinoma? I mean, I spe- melanoma? I mean, if you're covering your skin from the sun, like with a covering, I'm inside right now. I'm not wearing sunscreen. Right. But anyway, I know it's a listen. It's a fight that my wife and I have all the time about my lack of always putting on sunscreen. But my body, my choice. My brother doesn't do it either. Never. I would like to be better about it than I am. Instead, I just wear pants and long sleeve shirts out. In the all right, let's get back to the power. We don't have all day. I still here. wound up with a lot of little bites around my ankles, and they were they were itchy, and I didn't like it. And so Michael doesn't have that problem. So we're talking about bees. We're talking about mosquitoes. We're talking about wasps. We're talking about. Well, see, I don't know about mosquitoes because mosquitoes are biting insects, and I think he's just immune to stinging insects. So just bees. Hornets, wasps, wasps. scorpions. Uh, I guess scorpions aren't insects. Maybe I need to update his power. Stinging, stinging invertebrates, stinging invertebrates. Okay. His power has been updated because now anything that anything that stings you. Yep. So jellyfish can't be stung. Okay. Stung by jellyfish. All right. Poisonous octopus, not a problem. So he could have a really great career removing beehives. Yeah. Or wasp hives from properties. He definitely could. He just walks up and takes it away. See, ants ants are tricky because ants will bite and sting. But well, they still sting. So they, is he immune just from the sting or from the bite as well? Yeah, the bite still hurts. But a lot of times ants will like bite you so that they're held. They're holding on to you as they bring in the stinger. Wow, that's fucking rough. And so that's but mean. The, so the bite hurts, but the sting is fine. And the sting is what gets you. <laughs> so, toxins get introduced. So thanks to Davin, John, Daniel, and Michael for supporting us at patreon.com slash ifanboy. That's where you can go to help the show out directly. Our next stretch goal, if we hit it, is a a non-comics media podcast monthly. So if you want to hear that, go to patreon.com slash ifanboy. We're about 300 bucks away if you want to hear that show. Also, t-shirt store, ifanboy.threadless.com, our seven designs, a fanboy logo shirt, Herm, Pickle podcast ratings, if one is electro, GDAT, nothing makes sense, nothing matters. That shirt is blowing up. It's burying all other shirts in in terms of order numbers. Hit something in the zeitgeist with that one. So if you feel like you want that T-shirt, if you want that design on an iPhone cover or a bath mat or a shower mat or a mug, ifanboy.threadless.com. Also, ifanboy.com slash support. That's where you can help us out directly via PayPal. If you don't want to buy a shirt, you don't want to become a member of Patreon, those are all fine decisions, and people help people do that all the time. So thank you for that. And also, ifanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find a link to find the books we talk about on the Booksplode shows as well as a general link to Amazon. Thanks to everyone who helps support the show, keeps it going. We really could not do it without you. Let's, let's do a voicemail again. I think... What happened is one voicemail beget a second voicemail, and now it's like a virus. Hey, I fanboy. Sean from New York City. I'm a personal trainer out here. And quick thing about the bread. So you're talking about calorie balance or law of thermodynamics, calories in, calories out. Not exactly true. Bread and other carbohydrates also release a hormone called insulin, which is a fat storage hormone. So there is a hormonal element to what kind of macronutrients you eat and their effect on weight gain or weight loss. That's why low-carb diets have been shown to be a little bit more effective in losing weight. Also, 
just the amount of water that you're not storing from taking in carbohydrates because you need three or four grams of water for every one gram of carbohydrate. Sorry to bog everything down. Love the show. So if you didn't hear last week's show, we had a voicemail about Brian Lee O'Malley and his obsession with bread making you fat, which is something that we obviously all learn and, and are d- dismayed by. And so we had a long discussion about bread, and that led to Sean calling in to clarify some things that we said on the show, because we are not scientists. Ryan is wow. one, but we are not. Yeah. This is another science question. Honestly, I didn't even pick these out knowing you were on the show, so this has been, been funny. I understood some of those words you said. Did you get them all? Yeah, I don't think that was the correct use of the laws of thermodynamics. None of the laws of thermodynamics have to do with human-based calorie counts. The main thing he pointed out is the calories in, calories out. It is interesting about the insulin response when eating um, simple starches that break Mm -hmm. down into sugars and then get stored as fat. I mean, that's obviously a thing. But I don't know, man. If if we're talking about weight loss or we're talking about weight maintenance, I do think we, in general, living in a very robust and plentiful society, just tend to eat too much. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Josh was talking about last week with the bread. Like yeah. when bread's on the table, you just eat bread. You don't need to eat the bread. You would be full if you just ate what you ordered. But there's bread. And bread's delicious. The thing is, like other societies and cultures, I'm thinking specifically of France, they eat tons of fucking bread. And butter. And they're thinner than we are. Because the rest of their meal tends to be smaller. So, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just very hungry now. I'm still a fan of the more simple maximum of eat less, move more. And I think, you know, Josh talked about some of his recent weight loss. And one of the ways I know that he did that is by just keeping track of what you eat. I think a lot of times, especially I try not to snack because that is just a way where calories get introduced that I'm not thinking about carefully Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. So those apps where you keep track of everything you eat have been shown to do a pretty good job because it just makes you more aware. Um, There was a study I heard about one time where they tested to see how many chicken wings people would eat if they removed the bones from the finished chicken wings as they were finished versus leaving them in a pile on the table. Yeah. And when they're in a pile on the table, you eat fewer wings because you're more aware of how many wings you've already eaten. See, I feel more proud. Well, you should feel proud. And I just keep eating them to make the pile bigger. You've destroyed the flight apparatus of many a dinosaur. (laughs) So, all right, let's do another one. That's another food question. James R. from Derbyshire, England says, Food Corner is genius, which begs the question... One, do you eat while reading comics? If so, what? Two, desserts. What goes well after steak? And three, have you got any weird routines for reading your weekly comics? I just need quiet, to be honest, which requires me sending my kids to the shop for snacks. So his need to have quiet while reading comics causes him to snack, Ryan, what we were just talking about. These are all food-related in some way. Yeah. First of all, do you eat while reading your comics? No. I tend not to. I'm reading on my iPad, even when I read paper, like, you know, you're getting greasy stuff on your screen or on your paper. And I mean, I suppose if I was eating something that didn't require my hands, like like I wasn't eating a sandwich like or something like a soup where I was just holding a spoon, I might do that, but I tend not to. I am a big fan of mealtime as a ritual. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, normally I'm going to read my comics in the evening. I might read one or two comics that I'm really excited about as soon as I'm able to download them on a Wednesday. But by and large, you know, reading comics for me is an evening activity when I would be reading or watching a movie or doing something like that anyway. And I really like, you know, when my wife gets home from work, I have an office, but I work from home some days as well. And the days I work from home, I try to like actually make a nice meal for us. And I, I really appreciate the two of us coming together at the end of the day and sitting down and sharing a meal together. And I would 
I would be frustrated if she was trying to read something while that happened, and so I don't <laughs> read myself. That, that jumps to the third question. So we'll jump to the third question and go back to the second question. So the se- third question is, have you got any weird routines for reading your weekly comics? So you tend to read, I assume, like in a big leather chair by the fire with a pipe, that- uh, do you, I do not want to be anywhere near a fire right now <laughs> with how warm it is. Um, I have a couch. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I read on the, you know, we've got a couch with one of the, the chaise portions on it. Mm-hmm. And so I like to, I like to flop on that. And then, um, the arm rest of that couch is very sturdy. So I'll put a little, little glass with a little, little spirit in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I got my iPad. So your routine is to have a cocktail and read your comics on the couch. I mean, it's not the perfect cocktail. I'm not friends with no. I'm not friends with Daniel. It's a. It's it's usually some ice and some sort of spirit. And when does this usually happen? Is it the evening? This is evening time, like on the weekend, or when does it normally happen? No, it's usually during the week. It's it's usually a weekday, winding down for the day activity. You know, um, dinner dinner is done. Kitchen is getting tidied up or has been tidied up, and uh, yeah. Sort of a t- just unwinding a little bit, but that's not really a weird routine. Or I don't have any weird routines. I just read comics at the same time I would sit down to read a book generally. But it's mm-hmm. just that's the routine. When we were doing I Fanboy full time, I was that allowed for more routine in reading comics. Now it's just a battle of get these read as fast as possible. They come out Wednesday. We record the show Friday. It doesn't leave a lot of time for reading the books. So you know, I read some here, some there, a couple at lunch, maybe in between a meeting. Some of them at night before I go to bed. It's just a matter of getting them done in time as opposed to having the luxury of creating a weird routine or any kind of routine, really. It's not really, not much you can do about it if you're doing this show weekly. Josh has got it worse than I do because he's got the kids to deal with, but I basically, I have to get them in where I can. Which is why sometimes the food comes into play because I'm reading them at work during my lunch break. But not if I'm like eating something that's very messy. So there you go. Thanks, James and Sean. They wrote into contact.ifanboy.com and left us messages. They don't have to be about food, but they've been about food lately. So if, you, if you want to have more food talk, that's where you send us an email. I'm not, I'm not a dessert guy, so I don't really have any answers. Oh, we skipped the dessert question. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Desserts, whatever. If I'm at like a steakhouse, like I'll get a dessert. But like if I'm just making a steak at home, I don't usually have a dessert. After a big meal, like a multi-course meal that may or may not include a red meat steak type course, I do really like a, a little shot of espresso. Mm. And if it's a if it's if I'm doing it during what would normally be considered a dessert course, you know how you get the lemon twist in like a Gibson or other mm-hmm. cocktails. I mm-hmm. like that in the shot of espresso. Interesting. All right. Well. It just it just kind of brightens the whole thing up, and it's very nice. And that with a little bubbly water, and then you know after dinner cocktail, I'm good to go. I would have a cocktail before I would have a dessert in almost every circumstance. Contact.ifanboy.com is where you can write in if you want to get on the show. If you want to ask us food questions, that's fine too. That's okay. We'll take food questions. We've done it the last two weeks. We'll do it, we'll do it next week if you want again. Let's talk about things to plug. So Josh ta- did a Talksplode interview with Terry Moore, which is someone he never, he's never gotten to talk to before. It was very exciting and fun. So you can go back on the feed and find that interview. And we're doing a Booksplode this month on Planetary Book One, the, the new re-release of the Planetary series. Both those shows were unlocked by patrons over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. And we also did an Ant-Man show, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ron Richards and I talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's two shows back, and uh, have had a lot of fun talking about that fun movie. So you can find those extra shows on the feed wherever you listen to podcasts. And I do a podcast called Science Sort of. You can find more about that at sciencesort.com. This episode that we just put out includes a lot of talk about wolves and how wolves cooperate with each other better than dogs and about the potential for life under the ice of the Jovian moon Europa. 
Like based on some civilizations, under ice civilizations, ice people. It would be probably ice fishes or oh, or not. other worms or, or anemones or things like that. That's not fun. That's not fun, Ryan. It's a new theoretical model that could show how nutrients are getting cycled from the surface of the ice down into the salty, briny ocean beneath it. I'm looking for sexy ice people. Well, I think uh, there's another Warren Ellis book. If you need another <laughs> book explode that deals with that topic besides right. Planetary. But Planetary is great. I'm really excited to, to listen to that one. I'm going to revisit that book for that book explode. So head over to ifanboy.com. You can find all those podcasts other than science, sort of. Find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking ifanboy at facebook.com slash ifanboy, following ifanboy on Twitter, and you can follow us individually at J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram, at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram, and at, at Haupt on Twitter, and at Ryan Haupt on Instagram. Yeah, and if you dig the show, you can write us a review or leave a star rating on iTunes. iTunes is a really important way for people to find the show, so go ahead and do that even if you're not an iTunes user. And better yet, tell your friends about the podcast. Introduce your mom to podcasts. Say hi to your mother for us. Yes. And help us spread the iFanboy love. Thanks for sitting in for Josh this week, Ryan. I appreciate it. He might be making pasta. We don't know. Sure, I mean, anything's possible. I just, I just assume not. possible. Anything is possible. All right, bye. See you later. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go on that one. From my heart and from my hands, why don't people understand my intentions? <laughs>